Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? You want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape, starring John Lund. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are groping your way slowly through the dark hold of a ship at sea, moving carefully, step by step, searching intently for something you dread to find because you know that this ship carries a cargo of death. Today, with John Lund in the role of Chris Warner, we escape to a harbor front in Venezuela and a grim voyage which started from there. As told by Martin Storm and his gripping tale, A Shipment of Mute Fate. Stopped on the wharf at La Guaira and looked up the gangplank toward the liner Shankay, standing there quietly at her moorings. The day was warm under a bright tropic sun, and the harbor beyond the ship lay drowsy and silent. But all at once, in the midst of those peaceful surroundings, a cold chill gripped me, and I shivered with sudden dread dread of the thing I was doing and was about to do. But too much had happened to turn back now. I'd gone too far to stop. I set the box down on the edge of the wharf, placed it carefully so as to be in plain sight and within gunshot of the captain's bridge. I knew what I was going to do. But I couldn't forget that a certain pair of beady eyes were watching every move I made. Eyes that never blinked and never closed, just watched and waited. I turned and started up the gangplank. Oh! Oh, you startled me, sir. I, I didn't hear... What? Why, it's Mr. Warner. Well, hello, Mother Willis. How's the best-looking stewardess on the seven seas? Oh, well, I'm, I'm fine, Mr. Warner. Well, I, I guess I'd better run along now and get on with my chores. Wait a minute. That's a fine greeting after two months. Well, it's just that I'm so busy. Now, I don't believe a word of it. Sailing day's tomorrow. You're simply avoiding me, that's all. Oh, no, Mr. Warner, really, I'm not. And on the trip down from New York, you said I was your favorite passenger. Well, but I'm only Here. trying... what's that you're carrying in your apron? Oh, it's, it's nothing, just supplies. Supplies? Yeah, let's have a look. No, please. <laughs> Why, it's a cat. It's Clara, Mr. Warner. Mr. Bowman said I had to leave her ashore, and I just couldn't. Who's Mr. Bowman? The new chief steward. Well, Clara's been aboard with me for two years, and I just can't leave her here in a foreign country. Especially with her condition, so delicate and all. <laughs> well, I hope you get away with it. You you won't tell anyone. Oh, not a soul. As a matter of fact, if things don't work out right, we may both end up smuggling. had you aboard on the trip down two months ago, Christopher, and I'm happy to have you along with us on the run back to New York. Oh, thanks, Captain Wood. Uh, there is one thing, though. Mm -hmm. What's that? I'm uh, having a little trouble with the customs men here. No, I wondered no, if you... I can't do it, Christopher. I cabled your father just this morning. Told him I would have done it for you if I possibly could. He sent a request from New York, you know. Yes, I thought he would. I uh, wired him from upriver last week. Well, I hated to refuse, but that's absolutely out of the question. Captain Wood, I'm afraid I don't follow you. My responsibility to the passengers, son. We'll have women and children aboard, and on a liner, the safety of the passengers comes ahead of anything else. But with proper precautions... Something might happen. What? I don't know what, but something might. You've carried worse things. There isn't anything worse. Any skipper afloat will bear me out. No, Christopher. I simply can't take the chance. That's final. <laughs> It wasn't final if I could do anything about it. 
I hadn't come down here to spend two months in that stinking backcountry and then be stopped on the edge of the wharf. Two months of it. Heat, rain, insects, malaria. I'd gone clear in past the headwaters of the Orinoco. Traveled through country where every step along the jungle trail might be the last one. Oh, Sanchez! Si, senor, Warner. Better start looking for a place to camp. Be dark in a little while. Si, senor. Very soon we turn to river. Camp on rocks by water. This very bad country. This very bad country. You've been saying that for ten days now. Very bad country. Si, senor, Warner. This very bad country. Oh, skip it. For all the luck we've had so far, might as well be Central Park. Central Park? Uh, I don't understand. Oh, never mind. We don't... Here, what's the matter? Quiet there, quiet! Sanchez, what's wrong? They're in the path. See, Bushmaster! Bushmaster, the deadliest snake in the world. Bushmaster, its Latin name was Lachesis Muta. Mute fate. It lay there in the center of the path, a ten-foot length of silent death, coiled loosely in an undulant loop, ready to strike violently at the least movement. Here was the one snake that would go after any animal that walked, or any man. It lay there and watched us, not moving, not afraid, ready for anything. The splotch of its colors stood out like some horrible, gaudy floor mat, lying there on the brown background of the jungle, waiting for someone to step on it. Here was what I'd come 2,000 miles for, a bushmaster. It was three days later when Sanchez brought me the snake in a rubber bag. He was shaking so hard, I thought for a moment the thing had struck him. One thing you make sure, Senor Warner. No turn him loose in Venezuela. Because he know I the one who catch him. And he know where I live. All right, Sanchez. I'll keep an eye on him. He know you pay me to catch him. All the time he watch and wait. You no forget that, Senor Warner. Because he no forget, not ever. Well, after going through all that trouble and danger, I wasn't going to let a pig-headed ship's captain stop me at the last minute. At least not as long as the cables were still in operation between LaGuaira and New York. Morning, Captain Wood. Boy at the hotel said you wanted to see me. That's right, Christopher. Do um, sit down. Thank sit. you. Seems you weren't willing to let matters stand the way we left them yesterday. Sorry to go over your head, Captain Wood, but I had to. The museum sent me all the way down here for that snake, and I'm not going to be stopped by red tape. Why, this will be the only live Bushmaster ever brought to the United States. If I had my way, Christopher. But orders are orders. I got a cable from the head office this morning. All right, now, suppose we talk about... Precautions. Well, I'll handle it any way you say. It's got to have a stronger box. That crate's too flimsy. Oh, it's stronger than it looks. That wire screen on top would hold a wildcat. Mm. But anyway, I bought a heavy sea chest this morning. We'll put the crate inside it. it sounds all right. You've got a lock on it. Heavy padlock. Mm. It's fixed so the lid can be propped open a crack without unlocking it. Snake's got to have air. All right. But in dirty weather, that lid stays shut. I'm taking no chances. Fair enough. We'll keep the blasted thing in my inside cabin where I sleep. I can't have it in the baggage room. And nobody on board's to know about it. Whatever you say, Captain. We won't have any trouble. After all, it's only a snake. Doesn't have any magical powers. I saw a Bushmaster in the zoo at Caracas once. Had it in a glass cage with double walls. Never move. Just lie there and look at you as long as you were in sight. Gave a man the creeps. I didn't know they had a Bushmaster at the Caracas Zoo. They don't now. Found the glass broke one morning. The snake gone. Night watchman was dead. They never found out what happened. Well, the watchman must have broken the glass by accident some way. The way they figured it, the glass was broke from the inside. We uh, sail in four hours. Into the Caribbean, with perfect weather and a sea as smooth as an inland lake... The barometer dropped a little on the third day, but cleared up overnight, left nothing worse than a heavy swell. But in spite of the calm seas and pleasant weather, I found myself feeling more and more often a, an ominous foreboding 
I was developing an almost unnatural fear of that snake. I stayed clear of the passengers pretty much. Got the habit of dropping into Captain Wood's quarters several times a day. He kept the heavy box underneath his berth. I'd approach it quietly and shine my flashlight through the open crack. Never once could I catch that 12-foot devil asleep or even excited. He'd be lying there, half-coiled, his head raised a little, staring out of those beady black eyes, waiting. He'd still be like that when I'd turn away to leave. Maybe that's what bothered me, that horrible and constant watchful waiting. What in the name of heaven was he waiting for? Well, hello there, Mr. Warner. Oh, how are you, Mother Willis? My, but you and the captain spend an awful lot of time around this cabin. I'm beginning to think the two of you must have some guilty secret. Oh, no, no, nothing like that, Mother Willis. I don't know about Captain Wood, but I certainly don't have any guilty secret. She's running quite a swell out there, Mr. Bowman. Yeah, a little heavy, all right, Mr. Warner. Guess a storm passed through to the west of us yesterday when the glass dropped. Think it missed us then, huh? Well, that's where the mate figures. Sure stirred up some water, though. This'll put half the passengers in their bunks. <laughs> Makes it great for my department. Two-thirds of them will want a steward to hold their heads. They'll keep Mother Willis so busy that you... Wait. What? Look at the size of that wave. Great, Jehoshaphat. We're going to take it on the port bow. You better hang on. <laughs> Freak, if there ever was one. Not another wave that size in sight. Yeah, you see them like that sometimes, even in a calm sea. Uh, I better get below, Mr. Warner. That water probably did some damage on the officer's deck. Yeah, I suppose. What did you say? The wheel companionway was open on the port side. The bridge cabins must have taken a pretty bad smashing. They're right below the... Something wrong, Mr. Warner? Oh, no. No, nothing at all, Mr. Bowman. At least, I hope not. I didn't stop to find Captain Wood. Of course, I knew it was only one chance in a thousand, but the chances against that freak wave were one in a thousand, too. I stumbled down the companionway and along the passage to the captain's cabin. Oh, c- come on in, Mr. Warner. Oh, Mother Willis. My, isn't this cabin a mess? I'm trying to get some of these things out to dry. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to check... Where's that box that was under the captain's bunk? Oh, that? Oh, I just threw it out on the deck. What? With the desk over there slid into it. It was all smashed. With the small box inside of it. What happened to that? Oh, they were both splintered, Mr. Warner. Broke wide open. Oh, no. Why, Mr. Warner, you're white as a sheet. Mother Willis, will you go find Captain Wood? Yes, sir. Tell him to tell him to come down here immediately. Well, well of course, Mr. Warner. I'll go tell him right away. I can finish up here. Let me... I pulled open the top drawer of the bureau beside me and took out the captain's flashlight and the loaded pistol. Mother Willis had left a mop standing by the door. I put my foot on the head of it and snapped off the handle. Every move I made turned into slow motion. I could hear my own heart beating. Slowly, I started to search the cabin. Sodden heaps of clothing were scattered around on the wet black floor. I punched at them one at a time, holding the gun cocked, the flashlight pointing along the stick. Nothing. I worked around the room, throwing the light into the dark corners, back of the desk, under the bunk. Wherever I turned, I could feel those cold, unblinking eyes at my back, watching and waiting. Still nothing. Using the stick, I pushed open the closet door, threw the light inside. Carefully, I poked at the boxes and junk on the floor. The snake was not in the closet. Inch by inch, I covered the entire cabin. And only then, the horrible realization began to dawn on me. Captain Wood. Father Willis just told me. Well, Christopher. So, it's happened. That's right. It's happened. I see you found the gun. That's good. We better start by searching the cabin here. Captain Wood. I just finished searching it. Oh, Women, kids, that thing loose on board, a thousand places for it to hide. Heaven help us, Christopher. Christopher. 
certainly is something. There's no use starting to blame anybody now, gentlemen. I didn't call you in here to pass judgment. The thing's done, and that's that. Yeah, you're right, What we there, have Captain. got to do is to make up our minds how we're going to handle it. Well, it'd be easy if we didn't have to tell the passengers and crew. I've seen panics aboard liners before. I agree with you, Mr. Bowman, but I don't quite see how we can avoid it. Uh, they got a right to know. As long as that snake's loose, everybody on board's on the same danger. And they all ought to know about it. Captain Wood, that thing is 12 feet long. It can't simply crawl into a crack. Why don't we make a quick search of the whole ship before we spread any alarm? I thought of that, Christopher. Well, as far as I can see, the only place it couldn't be is in the boilers or on top of the galley stove. It might have crawled overboard. No, no, no. We can't count on that. We've got to assume it's on the ship somewhere. Yeah, that could be anywhere. With a coil of rope or in a pile of clothes or under a baby's crib. Or even You've in... You've already the... said it. That Bushmaster could be anywhere. We've got to do something, and we've got to do it fast. All right. I think the best idea is to follow Mr. Warner's suggestion. Make a quick search first. You agree to that? Yeah. Yes, then, if we don't find it, we'll have to warn the passengers. We've got to find it. Alone in the dim baggage room, I went through the same movements as I had earlier in the captain's cabin. Gun in one hand, flashlight in the other, poking into every dark corner behind every trunk and box. Since the baggage room was empty... I could keep the gun cocked and ready. The rest of those poor devils were having to do the same thing barehanded. All over the ship, the search went on. Here now, Stuart. What on earth are you doing, rummaging through my cabin? I'm just checking up, ma'am. Well, I'm quite sure there's nothing in here that has to be checked. I'm sorry, ma'am. It's captain's orders. It'll only take a few minutes. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. A passenger simply doesn't have any privacy at all. I've traveled on a lot of different lines, but I've certainly never heard of anything. <laughs> Sorry, sir. I wonder if you'd mind moving over to the other rail. I'd like to look through these lockers. Sure, go ahead. What's the matter? You lost something? No, no, nothing like that. No, just no. looking things over. Well, there's nothing in there but life preservers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You must be getting ready to sink the boat, huh? <laughs> you got to collect the insurance on it, is that it? <laughs> you got to send us all to the bottom, I know. <laughs> Not one of us could find that deadly shape, coiled in some dark corner or outstretched along a window seat. Not one of us caught a glimpse of that horrid head with its beady, black, watchful eyes. The thing lay waiting out there somewhere along the decks, shaded in the gathering dusk. But where, we didn't know. It was nearly dark when we met together again in the chart room. Well, gentlemen, there's no other way around it. We've risked all the time we can. We've got to warn the passengers. How we do it, Captain? Call them all together in the lounge? Oh, indeed. If we did anything like that, we'd be asking for a panic. Uh, we'll get one whether we ask for it or not. Pick a few men and go through the cabin decks. Tell them individually, inside their cabins. Watch for any that act like they might cause trouble, and we keep an eye on them. Handle the crew the same way. As Sorry, soon as you're finished, idea. arm all the deck officers and start searching again. Yeah. Our only chance of preventing a riot is to find that damnable snake. The slow nightmare that followed grew worse by the hour. None of us slept. All the ship's officers not on duty kept on with that endless search. Passengers locked themselves in their cabins or huddled together in the lounges knowing all the time that no spot on board could be called safe. Fear was a heavy fog in the lungs of all of us, and every light on the vessel burned throughout the night. Morning came and brought no relief. Terror and tension mounted by the hour. There now, Mrs. Crane. Stop getting yourself all worked up and go back to your cabin. The horrid things probably crawled overboard anyway. You're just saying that. You're paid to say it. You don't know. Nobody knows. Now, now. Everything's going to be all right. If only we could do something. If all of us could only get off this ship, they could fumigate it. Yes. That's what we've got to do. We've got to get off the ship. No, wait. Mr. Bowman, she's going to jump. Grab her. Nice work, Mr. Bowman. Get her down to her cabin. And whatever you do, don't turn her loose. You never know when it might strike you. You can't put on a coat or move a chair without risking your life, and something's got to be done. It might be right here in this lounge. All right, mister. All right, you better quiet down and take it easy. Take it easy, eh? You're a great officer. Why don't you do something about it? That thing might be crawling around here right under our feet somewhere. I said shut up. What are you trying to do, start a panic? I got a right to talk. I don't want to die, and no one's going to tell me what... 
The second night passed, and morning came around again. A gray and rainy day that dragged past, and then night came down. Third night of the terror. Again, every light burned, and the whole ship seized in the throes of incipient panic. Faced by a horror they'd never met on the sea before, crew and officers alike were on the verge of revolt. Passengers sat huddled in a trance-like stupor, ready to scream at the slightest unknown sound. At seven bells, I made my way forward to the chart room. Found Captain Wood bent over a desk. Oh, hello, Christopher. Come on in. Sit down. It's got to be somewhere, Captain Wood. It's got to be. I don't know. You could search this ship for six months and never touch all the places aboard. If we can only hold out for two more days, we'll be in. What's your home office say? Here's the latest wireless from him. Keep quiet and keep coming. What else can we do? A cigarette, Chris? Oh, thanks. How is it on the decks? Pretty bad. Anything could happen. Yeah. So I took the guns away from the men. One pistol shot, we'd have a riot on our hands. The whole thing's my fault, Captain Wood. That's what I can't forget. Take it easy, lad. It was only some way I could pay for it myself, alone. I know how you feel, but it's no more your fault than mine or the man who asked you to bring that snake back alive. Nobody planned this. You'd better try to get a little sleep, I think. Sleep? Mr. Bowman made some coffee down in the steward's galley a while ago. Better go on down and get yourself a cup and then rest for a couple of hours. Rest? I can't rest. Christopher, it's not going to help anything if you'll stumble through a hatch half asleep and break your neck, now is it? Hmm? Go on, get some coffee. One way or another, we've got to hold out for two more days. The light was out on the steward's galley and the coffee pot was standing on the stove. It was still warm, so I didn't bother to heat it. I poured out a cup, carried it over, and set it on the porcelain tabletop in the center of the room. I started to light a cigarette. The door of the pan cupboard beneath the sink was standing slightly ajar, and I happened to glance toward it. I dropped the cigarette and moved slowly backward. I found the Bushmaster. As I moved... The snake slid out of the cupboard in a single sinuous glide and drew back into a loose coil on the galley floor, never taking his eyes off me. I moved slowly back, waiting any moment for that deadly, slithering strike. How had he known it was me? He'd stayed quiet when Bowman was here. How had he picked the first time in five days that I was without a gun? My hands touched the cold bulkhead behind me, and I stopped. Only then I realized in terror what I'd done... The call button and door were on the far side of the room. I backed into a dead end. I stared at the snake in fascination, expecting any moment the ripping slash of those poisoned fangs. The horrible coils tightened a little, then were still again. Ten million years of evolution to produce this moment. Homo sapiens versus Lucasus muta. Man against mute fate. And all the odds were on fate. I knew then that I was going to die. I could feel the sweat run down between the painted wall and the palms of my hands pressing against it. My skin crawled and twitched. The pit of my stomach was cold as ice. There was no sound but the rush of blood in my ears. The snake shifted again, drawing into a tighter coil. Always tighter. Why didn't the devil get it over with? Then... For just an instant, his head veered away. Something moved over by the stove. I didn't dare turn to look at it. Slowly, it moved out into my line of vision. It... it was a cat. That scrawny cat, Clara, that Mother Willis had sneaked aboard in LaGuaira. Its back was arched. Every hair stood on end. It moved stiff-legged now, walking in a half-circle around the snake... The bushmaster moved slowly, kept watching the cat. He tightened. He was going to strike in any second. He struck and missed. The cat was barely out of reach. Now she was walking back and forth again. She was asking to die. Missed again by a fraction of an inch. He was striking now without even going to a full coil. Missed again and again. 
Always missing by the barest margin. Each time the cat danced barely out of reach. Each time she counted with one precise spat of a dainty paw, bracing her skinny frame on three stiff legs. And then suddenly, I realized what she was doing. The Bushmaster was tiring, and one strike was just an instant slow. But in that split second, sharp claws raked across the evil head and ripped out both its eyes. The cat had deliberately blinded the snake. He didn't bother to call him out, but slid after her in a fury, striking wildly, always missing. And every strike was a little slower than the last one, until finally... As the snake's neck stretched out at the end of a strike, the cat made one leap and sank her razor-sharp teeth just back of the ugly head, sank them until they crunched bone. With tooth and claw, she clung as the monstrous snake flailed and lashed on the floor, striving to get those hideous coils around her, trying to break her hold to shake off the slow and certain paralyzing death that gradually crept over him, and at last, stilled his struggles forever. I took a deep breath. The first in minutes, the cat lay on her side on the floor, panting, resting from the fight just over she had a right to rest. That mangy, brave, beautiful alley cat had just saved my life. And maybe others as well. But then, as I turned toward the stove, I suddenly became very humble. And I knew all at once what a small thing a human being really is. I and others aboard were still alive only by the merest accident. There were three reasons why that cat had fought and killed the world's deadliest snake. And those three reasons came tottering out from under the stove on shaky little legs. Three kittens, with their eyes bright with wonder, their tails stiff as pokers. Up on the decks, hundreds of passengers were waiting for the news that the days and nights of terror were ended. Well, they could wait a little longer. I pulled open the doors of the cabinet and found a can of milk. Then I dropped down on my knees on the floor of the galley. Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, has brought you John Lund in a shipment of Mute Fate by Martin Storm, specially adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. Featured in the cast were Barry Kroger as Captain Wood and Lois Corbett as Mother Willis, with David Ellis, Don Diamond, and Vivi Janis. Special sound effects by Earl Keane and Gus Bays. The musical score was conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week, you are trapped in a remote valley in the Andes, walled in by sheer rock precipices, and surrounding you, closing in on you, is a band of blind men who want your eyes. Next week... Escape with H.G. Wells' great story, The Country of the Blind, when our star will be that fine actor, Edmund O'Brien. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again CBS offers you Escape. John Lund may soon be seen starring the Paramount picture, Bride of Vengeance. This is Roy Rowan speaking. It's time now for the most wonderful hour of laughter on the air. The mad and merry 60 Minutes with the Jack Benny Show and with Amos and Andy. They will be heard over most of these same CBS stations. And Jack Benny will come to you over them all. You'll never miss them by staying tuned to the station where they say, This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. 
I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape. Escape. Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are searching frantically through the dark, empty rooms of an apartment. Panic gripping your heart, terror at your heels. For the girl you love, who was with you a moment before, has disappeared, vanished, as if into thin air. Today we escape from reality with a gripping tale of a girl who vanished and the man who had to find her to save his life, as Cornell Woolrich told it in his great story, Finger of Doom. Nothing unusual ever happens to you, huh? In your comfortable American city, nothing ever could, could it? Let me tell you something. Right on the common, everyday streets of a big city, I had the strangest, most fantastic adventure anyone could dream of. And I've had my fill of adventure for the rest of my life. This happened several years ago before the war on an ordinary evening in early spring. Well, not so ordinary because I had a couple of free tickets to a good show and I was picking Steffi up at her office for dinner. See, we were going to be married in less than two weeks. So naturally, I was impatient as I waited there on the sidewalk in front of her office building. And of course, she was late, last one to leave as usual. I felt like a picket pacing up and down in front of the door, but finally there she was, spun gold piled on her head, blue eyes shining and carrying... Hi, darling. What's that? Have I kept you waiting long? I try to hurry all I could. With this? Just a package. I promised his oh, nibs I'd pardon. deliver it on the Sorry. way home. <laughs> but you're not going home. We're eating out and going to a show. But and... it's right on the way. I have to leave it at a flat in Martin Street. It won't take a minute. Why can't he get somebody else to run his errands for him? We're late now. This will cut our eating time down. Woof, woof, Grumpy. Oh, woof. (laughs) So this is what the 13th does to you. 13th? You mean you've forgotten? You mean you aren't counting the days? Oh, sure. 13 days left. (laughs) 13 and a half. Don't forget that half of it's to be a noon wedding. (laughs) I don't like the 13 all by itself. I'll be glad when it's tomorrow when only 12 left. You know something? Hmm? You're cute. The more I know you, the cuter you get. I bet you won't say that a year from now. I bet you'll be calling me your old lady then. <laughs> Will you mind? Well, not right at first, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on, let's make like delivery boys. Oh, what's the address? Mr. Meller, 415 Martin Street, apartment 4F. We're on our way. <laughs> Sure is a frowsy neighborhood. Everybody can't be rich, you know. 411, 413. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Some clients your boss must have. I'll be glad when you aren't working for him anymore. Oh, did you give him your notice? Yesterday. He gave me the funniest look. Good thing he doesn't know you. He'd eat you alive. Hey, wait. Huh? 
Here it is. Oh, I was sailing right by. See how you affect me? Mm-hmm. Okay, give it to the hallman or the janitor or somebody, and let's get going. Oh, no, I've got to take it up personally and get a receipt. Besides, there doesn't seem to be anybody here. Oh, it's one of those push-button doors. What did I say the name was again? Muller or something, wasn't it? What would I do without you? 4A, 4B, 4C. Oh, here it is, 4F. Oh, no wonder I couldn't find it. The name card's fallen out. Oh, this must be the button. You wait down here for me. I won't be a minute. A minute's too long. Well, this'll hold you until I get back. Mm. Oh, the door. Only a minute now. Bye. Bye. For a minute, I watched her through the glass. She got into the little self-service elevator and closed the door. Then all I could see was the gleam from the elevator-in-use light. Then she was gone. I lit a cigarette and waited. How long does it take to smoke a cigarette? Five minutes? Ten? Anyway, I finished it. Nothing happened. I stood around, fidgeting, shifting from one foot to the other, and from one shoulder leaning against the wall to the other. A woman came by with a squalling kid, gave me a haughty look, and went on in. I tried to figure out what could be taking so long. Maybe they didn't have a pencil to sign the receipt. Maybe they had to find one. I lit another cigarette, took a couple of puffs. But now my patience was gone. What is this? I rattled the door first, and then I pushed the button for apartment 4F. I still didn't plan to go up. I just wanted to let her know that I was still alive. But I got no answering buzz. I kept ringing it, holding my thumb down till it was white. Still no answer. Suddenly, I wasn't angry anymore. Suddenly, I was scared. I did the instinctive thing. I ran out into the street again and looked up at the face of the building, searching the windows, but, of course, there was nothing to see. And that move cost me a chance to get in. I was out on the sidewalk, a seedy-looking character came out of the door, letting it click shut before I could get back in. I tried the buzzer again. Couldn't be out of order. They'd answered it when Staffy pushed it. But now, nothing. Dead to the world up there. By now, it was 20 minutes. 20 minutes since she left me. Now I was frightened. I knew I had to get up there. I pushed another button, anyone at random. The door was released, and I was in. F was at the back of the building. I stood out in the dark hallway and listened. There wasn't a sound. At first, this was a relief. At least she wasn't in any difficulty as she'd be screaming. But then, when I began to knock and kick the door, practically break it down, and still nobody made a sound, I began to get panicky. Heads poked out of doors all along the hall. Where will I find the janitor? Down in the basement, I suppose. I raced down to the basement, found the janitor eating his supper. I barged right in. You looking for something? Uh, come up with me quick, will you? Bring your pass key. I want to open one of the flats. What's the matter? What's wrong? I don't like the looks of it. My, my, my girl took a package up. I've been waiting for her for over 20 minutes, and she never came down again. Now they won't answer the bell. Come on, please, hurry. Oh, which apartment is it? On the fourth floor. Come on, I'll show you. Uh, what number? 4F, but... Wait a minute. Couldn't be 4F, not that one. Why not? Because there's nobody living there. Well, that apartment's been vacant for six months. <laughs> He took me up and showed me he was right. It was an empty flat. I went through its rooms calling Steffi's name, but she wasn't there. There was nobody there. It looked like there hadn't been anybody there for months. The dust was thick on the bare floor, on the sills of the locked windows. See, mister, she couldn't have come in here. But I saw her. I saw her ring the bell and go in the door. In this door? The downstairs door. Oh, well, she could have gone to any apartment then. But she was coming here. She rang this bell and somebody answered. Nobody could have answered. Nobody's been here. She must have rung another bell. Is there somebody in this apartment named Muller? No, we never had anybody by that name. Not in the whole 12 years I've been here. Somebody must have gotten in and was waiting for her. Will you tell me how they could? It was locked. You saw me open it with me pass key, didn't you? Listen, we're going to ask all the tenants on this floor. Maybe they heard something. Now, wait a minute. I don't like to disturb them. Maybe this girl just walked out on you. Maybe it had a quarrel. No, no, there was nothing like that. I know she wouldn't just walk out. Besides, how could she? Is there a back way? Yes, but only through the basement. She would have had to pass right by me. And you didn't see her. And I was waiting downstairs at the front door, and she didn't come out that way. Then, obviously, she's still in here. Well, maybe. Or maybe... What? I, um... Uh, are you sure she ever come in? Of course... 
You mean, am I sure there ever was a girl? Well, now, don't get excited, mister. All right, we'll look, we'll ask. Take it easy, take it easy. Okay. Hear anything in 4F? How could I? The place is empty. I know, but didn't you hear something? Anything? No. Yeah, the buzzer was going like crazy, like somebody was leaning on the button downstairs. But That, that was me. Anybody. Yeah. Then a little later, this guy banging on the door. He asked me where to find you. Never mind. Thank you. Sorry to have disturbed okay. you. Okay. Well, that's all of them. No trace at all. Maybe now you'll let me get back to my supper. There's nothing more we can do. Maybe if you go where she lives or works, you might find her. Wait him. here. I'm going to call the police. First, I got a patrolman from the corner. He asked a lot of questions and then called his station. A few minutes later, a detective was dropped off, a fellow by the name of Gilman. I must admit he was thorough. He checked on every apartment in the building. The only thing he learned was about the false ring which let me in. But there was only one, not two. And that meant that whoever buzzed for Steffi was expecting her. Gilman checked apartment 4F thoroughly, the windows with their undisturbed layer of dust, the door, the keyhole, everything. And then he said... There's nothing to show that she or anyone else ever came in here, bud. Look, don't do this to me. You make it sound like she didn't come here with me at all. That's what it does sound like. But don't you see... Look, I was going to take her to a show. Here. Here are the tickets. Don't mean a thing. We're going to build this from the ground up and see what we've got. You say her name is Stephanie Riska. Address? 120 Farragut. What's she look like? She's blonde and she came up to about here. I mean... Okay, okay. Don't let it get you. I'm not scared because she's gone. It's because she's gone in such a fairy tale way. She just disappeared into thin air. All right. Let's get about finding her then. You met her at 6.15 outside the Bailey Goodwin building with a package to be delivered here. Who'd she work for? A press clipping service called the Green Star. It's a one-man organization operated by a man named Hessen. One dinky little room on the ground floor of the building. What do they do? I don't know much about it. They have a list of clients, and they go through the paper and clip out any story which mentions one of the clients. They get about a nickel a clipping. How is there any money in that? I don't know. Okay, we're going up there. We'll find out. The night watchman led us into the office after Gilman showed him his badge. It was a tiny room with only a desk, a telephone, and another table and a filing cabinet. Except for a lone can of Canadian Ace Brew, all of them were bare as bones. This is no office. This is a telephone booth. Not a big business, I guess. Hmm. This is their list of clients. They can't be making very much money at those prices. Steffi got paid every week. There's nobody named Muller in the file. What do you think? I don't see anything here to indicate he even has a secretary. You could ask the night watchman. I already have. He's never seen her. Well, but but that doesn't mean anything. He, he works at night and she works in the daytime. Okay, I only said he's never seen her. Doesn't know anything about her. Uh, 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 Hassan, her boss. You can ask him. We're going there next. And I guess you'll have a chance... Wait a minute. Here's something. What? Uh, what kind of gum does your girl chew? She doesn't. Likes lifesavers, hates gum. Well, whoever sits at this table chews gum, lots of it. It's all over the bottom. Mm, tutti frutti. Oh, tu- that doesn't mean anything. Maybe somebody came in, put it there. Maybe it's all. Maybe yeah, Hessen. Okay, let's go. We'll see what he has to say. Hessen lived in a swanky bungalow type home in the suburbs. As Gilman and I left the police car and walked up the drive to the house, I got the strangest feeling of unreality. Like this was all a horrible nightmare. Couldn't be happening. My knees were sagging, but then Gilman was knocking on the door and it was answered by an ugly, foreign-looking character who went away and returned to usher us into Hessen's presence. I'd seen him a time or two, but he didn't know me, so he gave no sign of recognition. Good evening, gentlemen. Mr. Hessen, I'm Sergeant Gilman, police force. Oh, yes, I'm pleased to know you. I won't take up much of your time, but I need a little help. Gladly, if it is within my power. Did you ever see this young fellow before? No. What has he done? I'm not sure yet. You know anyone named Muller at 415 Martin Street? Muller? No, I don't know anyone by that name. I think we have a Miller, a Mrs. Elsie Miller on our list, who all the time divorces and remarries. Will that do? She owes us $29. Then you didn't send a package over to Muller, apartment 4F, 415 Martin Street at 615 this evening? No. Why, you... Hold it. You keep quiet. I'm sure I didn't, Sergeant. But wait, it's easy enough to confirm it. Oh, Miss Riska, 
Yes? Stephanie, would you please come in a moment? What? Steady. My assistant happens to be right here at the house tonight. I had some dictation to give her, and she's transcribing it. We usually mail out clippings only when there's some urgent request do I send them by personal messenger. Yes, sir? Suddenly the room was spinning in front of my eyes. I was looking at it, trying to see it, but lights kept streaking across the room like comets. And their voices came to me through a thick fog. Stephanie, did we send a package to 415 Martin Street this evening to a Mr. Uh, Mr. Murmuller? No, sir. Not that I know of. I see. And tell me, did you ever see this young man before? Do you know him? Why, no, I don't believe I do. Wait. Wait, this isn't Stephanie. He's calling somebody else by her name. This isn't Stephanie. I tell you that... My dear sir, this is the only young lady I have working for me. In just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, Mr. and Mrs. X thought they were pretty smart, smarter than the Narcotics Bureau and the Bureau of Customs combined, but they overlooked a casual passenger aboard the luxury liner. For a fascinating true life tale of crime and smuggling on the high seas, hear Gangbusters tonight. And along with it, CBS's other great Saturday night thrill-a-minute show, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Both of these programs are regular Saturday night features on most of these same CBS network stations. Gangbusters recreates famous crimes and their solutions by national, state, and local agencies. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe are based on the character of the famous private eye created by Raymond Chandler, the noted mystery story writer. And now with our stars, Harry Bartell as Kenny, and with Ed Begley as Gilman, we return to the second act of Escape and... Finger of Doom. Essen stood there and blandly said it. This strange girl was my fiancée, was Stephanie Riska. He stood there looking surprised and hurt. And she stared at me with a just-right puzzled expression on her face. Gilman was holding me with a sort of a half-Nelson and gritting at me. Stop it, stop it. But I tell you, this isn't Steffi. Steffi is blonde. This girl is brunette. Steffi's short, comes up, up, up to here. This one's tall. I tell Shut you... Shut up. You're asking for trouble. Now calm down. Sergeant, I don't believe I understand. I'm what... just beginning to myself. Now, miss, hmm? how long have you been working for Mr. Hessen? Why, since October of last year. About six months. And your name is Stephanie Riska? Why, yes, of course. She's lying, I tell Shut you. Shut up. I, uh... I don't mean to doubt your word, miss, but just for the record, I suppose you could show me some proof of your identity? Why, yes, I... Oh, right here in my bag. My driver's license. Oh, wait, the bag has initials. Oh, yeah, S.R. Of course, S.R. And the driver's license. Steffi doesn't drive. She has no car. But I do. It isn't a very good one, Anything but... else? Well, this letter addressed to me. Address 120 Farragut. May I look? Why, yes, of course. Uh-huh. It's genuine, all right. Here you are, and... I don't know this... what else I have here, but... Oh. oh. I'll get it. Here you are. Oh, thank you. I see you carry chewing gum in your purse. Why, yes. Hmm. Tutti fruity. Not many people like that flavor. Oh, I never chew any other. Well, thanks. Sorry to have bothered you both. Come on, John. I hope we've been able to help, Sergeant. A lot, thanks. Good night. Good night, Sergeant. Okay, what's your racket, kid? Are you a pushover for the mental ward? Or are you working off a grudge against this guy? Or did you do something to some little blonde, blue-eyed number and you're trying to set up an alibi even before we find out about it? Things like this don't happen. They can't. One minute she's here and then she's gone. No one will believe me. Why should we? You haven't produced a single person all night who actually saw this blonde of yours. Where'd I get her name and address, then? Ah, that's one thing I'm not sure of. So I'll give you one more spin for your money. You stand or fall by the place she lived, 120 Farragut Street. Come on, let's go. Okay, this is it. Come on. What is it, a rooming house? Yeah. She lived alone, just a room. She only came here from Harrisburg six months ago. But the landlady... 
Now, what's the matter? I just remembered. Hessen recommended this place to her. Now, look. You want to go in or you want to go to headquarters? The tougher you get with me, the tougher I'll be on you. Listen, you gotta listen. I was only up there once, but I remember it. Sticking in the mirror of the dresser is a litho of the Holy Mother. On the radiator is a rag doll I won for at Coney Island and a, and a Hickok wallet I gave her last Christmas. And on a shelf against the wall is a gas ring, and from the light fixture to the gas jet is a string where she hangs stockings to dry. Will you remember those things? Uh, the bedspread's green, and th there's a green and yellow upholstered chair. Don't you see? I, I couldn't make these things up. She must be real. You almost convinced me. Come on. Now, when we get inside, you keep your mouth shut. One peep and I'll split your lip. Yes? You got a girl named Stephanie Risker living here? Yep. Fourth floor front. How long has she been here? Risker? Oh, six months. What does she look like? Dark hair, dark skin. Uh, about as tall as... Uh... As this young fella. Talks kind of husky. Why? Police. I want to see your room. Sure, sure. Come right in. Gilman practically had to support me all the way up. My knees just weren't functioning. But that was nothing to the shock I got when the landlady opened Steffi's door. The room was all different. Not one thing was the same as I had told Gilman. He didn't even look at me. Has she always had it fixed up this way? Always, since the first week she moved in. Uh, does she drive a car? Yeah, a little old coupe. She's a real clean rumor. Only one thing I got to complain about. Oh, there it is again, under the washstand. Oh, yes, yeah. Chewing gum. Yeah, let me see it. Uh-huh. Tutti frutti. You better watch your friend. He looks like he's going to faint. Let him fold up. That isn't anything to the falls he'll be taking in a few minutes. Mm. What did he do? Murderer? Not her, but I got a good hunch he murdered somebody, and he picked the wrong name out of the hat. He don't look like... I hit him and ran. I knew I had to. He was going to take me to the police station. Then I wouldn't have any chance to find Steffi. Not for a long time. Maybe too long a time. And I had to find her. Back to the Martine Street flat. It was the only place to go. Back to where she disappeared. Start from there. I knew Gilman would catch up with me sooner or later, but I, I might be able to turn up something first. I told the janitor the cops had sent me back to take another look at the apartment and got him to give me the passkey. He fell for it. I went up to the apartment alone. But once there, I couldn't find a thing. I wandered through the empty rooms, calling her name helplessly. I tapped the walls, scraped the plaster, tested the windows. I'd been there about ten minutes when I heard a little sound out in the hall, like somebody coming up the stairs very quietly. I slipped out the door and stood at the top of the stairs. It was the janitor, with Gilman and two cops. They were coming up the stairs. There was only one way for me to go, up. So up I went. And then they saw me. Hey, you, come down here. One flight up, I came to the top of the stairs. A sort of skylight window opened onto the roof. It was standing loose, partly open. I ran out across the roof, tried to hurdle the low wall to the next roof. I missed, fell. I got you, you lily livered louse. And when I get you down to hell. All right, I'll go. I'll go. Quietly, it's, it's no use now. Well, I'll be. What's the matter? Calhoun, throw your light over here. What? Okay. What? It's a package. Yeah, package lying here on the roof. Addressed to Muller, apartment 4F. That's it. Don't you see? That's what she brought. Holy smoke. Okay, kid. Somebody did bring a package here tonight. I'll give you that. And when I give you that, I guess I give you all of it. She's a blonde. Never chews gum. Doesn't drive. All of it. Somebody must have jumped her, brought her up this way across the roofs and down through some other house. They dropped the package on the way. Maybe didn't have time to come back and pick it up. What'll we do? Calhoun. Yeah? Call in. Have a radio car keep Hessen's house on Myrtle Drive spotted until we get there. I want to stop up off at that office again first. Right, Sarge. Do you think... No. No, kid. Not yet. They would have done it right here in the empty flat and let you take the rap. Come on, buck up. We got work to do. At Hessen's office, we found two things. These files are funny. 
About every third name is a foreign one with a foreign mailing address. Why would those people want local press clippings? What do you mean? I mean, this looks like a job for the FBI, spy stuff. Maybe your girl had found something out, and that's why they figured she was too dangerous. Did she ever say anything? No, but she told them she was quitting next week to get married. So she didn't suspect anything, but they thought she did. Same thing. Come on, we'll stop off at that rooming house. I want that landlady picked up. Obviously, she's one of them. Changed the room all around, stuck the gum into the washstand, everything. Hey, wait. Look, on the floor next to the baseboard. Yeah, gilt hairpin. So she was blonde. Okay, let's go. At the rooming house with the landlady turned over to a cop downstairs, Gilman went over the room once more. Fished into the wash basin drain and came up with a couple of blonde hairs. Now, why didn't I think of that the first time? Girl shampoos her hair once in a while. Then we were on our way to Hessen's house on Myrtle Drive. All the way I was praying. When we arrived, it was dark, deserted. Even the police car Gilman had ordered wasn't there. We went in, shooting the lock off the door. We searched the ground floor, then upstairs. In an attic room, we found a shortwave radio. But not Steffi. Just as we got back downstairs, Calhoun came in with a report from the radio car. They trailed him to Pier 07, North River. The three of them got on a tramp steamer that sailed immediately. Then they're gone. It's too late. They won't get out of the harbor. We'll have them picked off at quarantine. Three of them, you say, Calhoun? A blonde girl? No, they said two men and a dark girl. Then where's Steffi? Still here, probably. But where? We'll soon... Wait. Do you smell something? Smoke? Yeah. And gasoline. The basement. Come on, hurry. Smoke the... The basement's filled with smoke. Here, over this way. Steffi! Steffi! Now, hurry, this place will be a mass of flames in a minute. I can't see. Steffi! Here, here, give me a hand. Here she is. Hurry. Oh, Steffi, Steffi. Is she. No, no, she's breathing. Hurry, let's get her out of here fast. In the next few minutes, there was a lot of excitement around there. While the fire companies fought the fire, we cut the ropes off Steffi and revived her. She was all right, and I sat there in the police car with my arms around her as if I'd never let her go again. And that's just how I felt, too. Then a radio report came in. Well, they got him off the ship at quarantine. They'll be turned over to the FBI eventually, but first... Well, they better hadn't let me get my hands on him. You know, kid, she is pretty. Gee, thanks for everything. It's okay. Well, I gotta go and... Oh, say, I've got something I want to return to you. Yeah, what? This. Uh... I went out like a light when he hit me. And a few minutes later, Kenny. when I came to, Steffi was holding me in her arms, Kenny. stroking my head and smiling. Kenny, he said to tell you no hard feelings, but when anyone socks Dick Gilman over the head, he gets socked back, even if they're the best of friends. Uh, Steffi, you know something? What, darling? You're cute with stars in your hair. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented transcribed Finger of Doom by Cornell Woolrich, adapted for radio by John Dunkel. Starred as Kenny was Harry Bartell, with Ed Begley as Gilman. Featured in the cast were Joy Terry, Edgar Barrier, Louise Arthur, Peter Prouse, and Kay Miller. Special music was arranged and played by Ivan Detmars. Next week, you are clinging to a narrow window ledge, your strength running out. While before your eyes, seen through the window, the most beautiful girl in the world is about to die. Because of you. Next week, we escape with an unusual story, The Adaptive Ultimate, by John Jessel. Be sure to tune in again at this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. You can escape again tomorrow night when CBS's famous dramatic series presents screen star Edmund O'Brien in another special Sunday night escape broadcast at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. 
Mr. O'Brien will star as an explorer who becomes a prisoner in a beautiful and strange country populated by blind men. Be sure to hear tomorrow night's Escape, starring Edmund O'Brien in H.G. Wells' famous story, Country of the Blind, on most of the same CBS network stations. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by Let's Pretend over most of these same stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.